Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Well, if you were to go into any bookstore today, either the old-fashioned brick-and-mortar variety, uh, which are not around all that much anymore, or the the internet version, Amazon.com, you would find whole sections of books with the with uh, devoted to dozens and dozens of titles, like Calculus for Dummies, which I could have used in high school. I struggled in math, or iPhones for Dummies. I could use that now, so I don't have to keep going to my boys to explain how my phone works. You notice this one says for seniors. That's a little mean-spirited, but kind of true. Or being a great dad for dummies, appropriate for today. And these books were the bright idea of a guy named Dan Gookin in 1991 who believed there was a market for books that boiled the subject down to basic information that an average person could understand. And he was right. There are now hundreds, hundreds of titles in the Dummies series, over 250 million copies sold, billions of dollars in revenue. They've been inspired a copycat series called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Whatever. That's a little harsh. Would you rather be a dummy or a complete idiot? Well, a couple more of my favorite titles. Fishing for Dummies, which I think is a little redundant, but... (laughs) Sorry, sorry, but you know. Or there's one called Public Speaking for Dummies, which you might find a little redundant. There's even one called The Bible for Dummies, but unfortunately for you, there's no book entitled Sermon Writing for Dummies. And did you know that the Bible actually includes a book that's kind of like that? A book that says things like, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Duh, right? Or a man who's too lazy to plow will have no food for harvest. Duh. Both these bits of advice come from the book of Proverbs, which could be entitled, God's Wisdom for Dummies. Today we begin our summer series, Proverbs, the Pursuit of Wisdom. Now, the book of Proverbs is part of what scholars call the wisdom literature of the Bible. Uh, There are five wisdom books, Psalms, Book of Job, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. And the last three of those books are generally attributed to King Solomon, who lived roughly 950 years before Jesus or nearly 3,000 years ago. So remember that when you're reading these little bits of wisdom. Remember, also Solomon was the son of King David, and when God told Solomon in a dream that he could ask for anything he wanted, what Solomon asked for was wisdom. And then we read in 1 Kings chapter 4 that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. That's pretty amazing. Yet, interestingly and somewhat tragically, Solomon did not remain faithful to the wisdom God had bestowed upon him. He took, for example, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Definitely not very smart. Um, He built palaces for worship for pagan idols. In short, the nation of Israel never actually recovered 
from the sins of Solomon, even though God gave him such wisdom. And yet, the book of Proverbs is filled with hundreds of short, pithy sayings designed to show how God's wisdom can shape our lives in a way that benefits us and honors him. So as we begin, uh, we need to understand that um, a proverb is different from a promise. The Bible is full of promises to us, absolute truths like, for God so loved the world and gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but shall have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's a promise. But a proverb is not like a promise, but it's rather a general truth, more like a principle than a promise. And we know what a proverb is. We use them all the time. Like the father who says to his son, son, hard work pays off. Generally true. Or like, don't judge a book by its cover. Or laughter is the best. Or a bird in the hand is worth two in the... We actually had an argument about that at preaching team this week about should it be two in the bush or two in the tree. Joe Scavaldic said they should be in a tree. The birds don't go... That was an argument we had. Or my personal favorite, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Uh, the book of Proverbs... You have to stay with me here. <laughs> stay with me here. The book of Proverbs contains over 500 of these generalizations about how life works best, how even a dummy can live wisely. So let's begin. Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read the first seven verses. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. And then we'll dig in. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." We're going to look at three things as we begin. First, what wisdom is. Next, what wisdom requires. And then where wisdom begins. First, what wisdom is. Uh, television comedian Drew Carey, uh, years ago, uh, gave a commencement address at Cleveland State University. And in his address to graduating college seniors, he said, quote, Set goals, drink beer, value what's in your heart and mind. Unquote. Does that sound like wisdom to you? Okay. Mr. Carey went on to acknowledge that that particular strategy caused him to flunk out of college himself. But then he said, but look at me now. I'm a millionaire. So evidently, Mr. Carey had not read from the book of Proverbs. It says in Proverbs 23, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So when it comes to wisdom... Can we do a little bit better than set goals and drink beer? Proverbs 1, again, these first few verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Now, the Hebrew word for wisdom is hakmah. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but hakmah. It also carries, like many Hebrew words, a, a variety of meanings, sort of flexible meaning. And it's also used to mean skill, that is, knowing how to do something well. 
For example, back in Exodus, when God instructed Moses to have the tabernacle constructed, here's what he says. Exodus 35, he has filled them with skill. So he chooses certain men with certain abilities, certain skills. He has filled them with skill, the same word, hakma, to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled, same word, workers and designers. So wisdom, as we understand it in Proverbs, could be defined as the skill of living rightly before God. The skill of living rightly before God. And these verses that we just read say at least three things about gaining the skill of wisdom. First, wisdom is instruction. Wisdom is instruction. For a couple of years while I was in college, my parents lived on a small lake in Florida. And at some point, uh, my dad uh, got a sailboat and learned to sail on that little small lake. And he loved to sail. And then one summer when I was home from college, uh, I, I met a, a young lady, a, a girl who was not, not Lorene, this was way before that. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted to take her out on a date, so, and I thought I would try to impress her by taking her sailing on my dad's little sailboat. I mean, what's more impressive than that, right? Uh, so I asked my dad if I could use the sailboat. He said, sure, but he needed to show me how, how, to, how to use the sailboat first. So the day before the date, he took me out on the boat to show me how to sail uh, the boat. And so he says, here's the rudder, you know, here's the sail, here's how the sail works, here's how the rope works, make sure you put the keel down, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, now, how hard can it be? I mean, my dad can do it. So the next day, I picked up my date, and we got in the boat. I put the sail up, and away we went. Strong wind, and we were just shooting across the water. And I was like the swashbuckling sea captain until a few minutes later, I realized that I was having trouble steering the boat. No matter which way I turned the rudder, it, it, it just kept going in the same direction. The wind was blowing us straight across the lake. It wouldn't turn. And within a few minutes, like five minutes, we crashed right into the reeds on the other side of the small lake. I was stuck. I had, no, I had no idea what to do, so I had to jump out of the boat into chesty water, grab the rope, and pull it, walk it all the way along the side of the lake, all the way back to our house, to the little beach there. When we got there, my dad was standing on the beach with this annoying grin on his face, and I said, your sailboat doesn't work. And he said, did you remember to put the keel down? I said, keel? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times over the years my dad teased me about the day I took the boat for a walk. <laughs> wisdom is instruction. Secondly, wisdom is understanding and insight. Wisdom is more than knowing things, knowing facts, more than intelligence. In fact, very smart people do some very dumb things, right? Years ago, I read a story about a university-trained engineer who wanted to grill some steaks on his backyard deck. But he became frustrated with how slowly his charcoal grill was heating up. Being an engineer, he had an idea. So he injected a little liquid nitrogen into the charcoals, burned up his steaks, his grill, and his deck in four seconds. He was lucky to survive. So wisdom uh, does not mean knowing things. It has nothing to do with your intelligence. It's knowing how to apply wisdom. Wisdom, thirdly, produces prudent behavior. That word prudent is interesting. It just means making the right decision at the right time for the right reasons. That engineer was intelligent, but his behavior, decisions, were not prudent. Solomon says, and notice here, there's also a moral component to the wisdom of God. 
There's a moral component. It says wisdom is doing what is right. That word is righteous. What is righteous in the eyes of God. And then he says what is just and fair. That's what is just and fair before others. So wisdom is doing what is right before God and what is right before and to others. So wisdom is therefore the intersection of instruction, understanding, and behavior. That's what wisdom is. Secondly, what wisdom requires. What wisdom requires. I've said here many times I graduated in the late 70s from a small college in North Carolina called Davidson College, about 20 miles away from Charlotte. Um, And the town of Davidson was small uh, when I I went to school there. Only like one blinking stoplight, I think, in in the whole town. (coughs) But, But in part of that town, down on the edge of town, there was a an ancient uh, old water tower. And some of you have heard this story. I, I, I think I used it fairly recently. Uh, the tower was surrounded by a chain link fence, went all the way around it, with a large sign that said, Danger, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted. Now, so, of course, it was a college tradition to try to climb the water tower before you graduated. So, one night, senior year, we were hanging around late at night with a bunch of friends, and someone says, Hey, let's go climb the water tower. So we all go walk off campus, a couple blocks to the water tower. We scale the fence with the sign right there on it and start up this rickety ladder up a 75-foot-tall water tower. Okay, now I don't like heights in general. I don't like even getting up on a ladder to change the light bulb. I just don't, I don't think I'm fully phobic. I'm not really comfortable with heights. But I was with the group. I'm carried along with this group. I'm in the middle of the group, like 30 of us, and we're heading up the water tower. We get about halfway up this rickety ladder, and I realized suddenly a whole bunch of things. I realized, first of all, that I really didn't want to be doing this. I didn't want to be doing it, but I was doing it. I realized this is really dangerous. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. It's pitch dark. We can't see anything. There's no lights. We're on this rickety ladder. Nobody's tested the ladder. We have no idea how old it is. And I realized thoroughly that everyone on the ladder ahead of me, above me, had been drinking that night. I had not been, but they had been. Even one of them loses his grip. We're all goners. I couldn't go down because there were people behind me on the ladder, so I couldn't climb around them. Some of them were women, and I didn't want to look like a scaredy cat, so I was stuck. I realized I'd made a very unwise decision, so I prayed. (laughs) I prayed something like this, like foxhole prayer. I said, if you get me down from here, I will never do something this dumb again. And I'm not sure, but I think I heard God whisper, okay, but did you notice the sign I put on the fence for you? <laughs> and he might have even said, did you know there's a whole book in the Bible about this sort of thing right here? I eventually got down, but the next day I noticed my, my legs were really sore. I, I had bruises all up and down my shins from my legs shaking against the ladder because I was so scared. Look what he says again. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, let the, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. He's saying a couple of things here. First, wisdom requires a teachable spirit. By teachable spirit, I mean a readiness and willingness to receive instruction. And to receive instruction requires, by definition, some measure of humility. I spent a good bit of time in my life coaching. I was coaching uh, 
college athletes in basketball and young boys in, in, in youth baseball. And I've learned over the years there are really two kinds of young athletes. Uh, there are those guys who are just hungry to learn and who listen carefully when you're trying to give them a little piece of advice or instruction. They immediately try to put that into practice. Then there are other guys who, you know, uh, already have a foot in the Hall of Fame, even though they're nine, and when you attempt to show them something about their shooting form or tell them, hey, maybe you want to choke up on the bat a little bit, they look right back at you and say, "Uh, but this is how I do it, they say. This is why Solomon says, let the wise listen. He says, listening is the only way you receive instruction. And back to the sailboat, I wound up in the reeds that day uh, because I didn't have a teachable spirit. I didn't really listen to what my dad was saying. I didn't listen to the instruction, therefore was not wise. And the outcome was not good. As one writer puts it, the world says live and learn. God is saying learn and live. Secondly, he says, teaches us that wisdom requires applying knowledge. Knowledge is necessary, but just knowing things doesn't make a person wise. You can memorize the entire book of Proverbs and still not be wise. In fact, you could memorize the entire Bible, know it by heart, and still not be a wise person. Wisdom requires applying knowledge to decisions and behavior. Verse 4 says, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Discretion is not just knowing facts, but applying that knowledge to life in a way that produces a good result. And notice, notice who he says needs wisdom. Solomon mentions three categories of people here. He says the simple, verse 4, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. The word simple doesn't mean simple-minded. It, it, rather, it means one who is young, uh, inexperienced, maybe naive, but, but open-minded, willing to learn, and realizes that he or she is not yet wise. That's the simple. And then he mentions, and he says, to the simple and young who are open, wisdom will offer prudence, knowledge, and discretion. Then he mentions the wise. Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their, underst- uh, add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. What I notice here is that the wise person is not a know-it-all. Most of you probably know a know-it-all, and they're very difficult to teach because they already know it all, okay? Some of the wisest people I've known in my life are always willing to learn something more, and that's why exactly they are wise. And then the third kind of person mentioned here is the fool. If you jump ahead to verse 7, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We'll talk about that in a minute. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're going to see over the next few weeks that Proverbs has a lot to say about the foolish person and about the folly of a foolish person. Here we see simply that the fool is one who is unteachable. Unteachable. Too proud to be taught. A fool is one, for example, who comes to church every week to hear a sermon or to preach a sermon, and in the back of their mind is saying, you know, I know a lot of people who could really use to hear it, really need to hear that. Because that's a person who is unteachable. And then he says, here we see simply that, that, oh, I was going to go back to the water tower story. Sorry about that. Got lost. Um, I was young at that time, 21 years old. So I was among the simple, inexperienced, naive 
You could say he didn't know any better, but not really, because I was also among the foolish. Because there was a, there was a, a, a sign, a warning sign printed right there that was trying to tell me, give me pause. But I didn't receive the instruction, therefore I couldn't apply the wisdom. I actually was one of those who despised wisdom and instruction, therefore was foolish in that moment. Thirdly, we see here in this paragraph where wisdom begins. Again, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is the central theme of the entire book of Proverbs. Um, it's mentioned over 20 times, that single sentence, the fear of the Lord, in the book of Proverbs, over 200 times in the Bible, in the whole Bible. If you, one writer said, if you distill the entire book of Proverbs down to one drop, distill it all down to one drop, this is verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? The word translated fear here can mean terror, genuine heart-stopping fear, or it can mean respect and awe. And both meanings are appropriate when it comes to God. In Hebrews chapter 12 we read, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I think the Bible teaches that there's a relationship between fear and worship when it comes to God. That is, if God if your idea of God is not worthy of fear, if God is not worthy to be feared, he is not worthy of worship either. And the Bible does present us with a God who is a God of power, a God of absolute righteousness, of holiness, of authority to judge all things, a consuming fire, therefore, is a fearsome God. C.S. Lewis once wrote, in God, you come up against something which is in very every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do, you do not know God at all. And yet we are told many times in Scripture to fear not. Because in all His power, in all His authority, God has chosen to love us and to save us through his Son, the Lord Jesus. Proverbs 14 says, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Now, to fear God means a lot of things, but let me mention three this morning. To fear God means, first of all, to acknowledge that he is the source of all truth. God is the source of all truth. When I was in college, I had to take a science class uh, to fulfill the liberal arts requirements, and so some buddies and I took a class in astronomy that was, that was called bonehead physics. You know, it was people who were not science majors. I sat in the back of the class with these buddies. At one point early in the semester, the professor was trying to explain something called the red shift. We had no idea what he was talking about, but he said, explain it like this. If you look up at the sky at night, there are so many stars in the universe that every single point you look at should be filled with light, but it's not. The sky's dark at night. And that's because, he said, the universe is expanding so fast, those stars are actually moving away from us so fast that their emitted light uh, is, is, has, has gone out, has shifted out of the visible spectrum. Thus the red shift, and we can't see it with our naked eye. And he got to about that point in the explanation, and my buddy sitting next to me, Mike, just closed his notebook and said, I don't have to believe that. 
I don't have to believe that. And we live in a culture, I think, that does that all the time. I, I don't have to believe that. I can decide what's true for me. I can live by my truth. I can set goals, drink beer, and follow my heart. The problem is, the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Beyond cure, who can understand it? But on the other hand, the Bible says that, that, that we can trust the truth of God's Word. Psalm 119 says, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Literally shows me which way to go. The Apostle Paul says it like this in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wisdom. So to fear God as the source of all truth is to acknowledge that He knows better than we. It means to humble ourselves before His truth and His wisdom. And then secondly, to fear God means to recognize that Jesus is the wisdom of God. In Colossians 2, we studied Colossians for the last nine weeks. We read this, My goal is that they, talking about the Colossian church, may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is saying that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks, study what Jesus taught. If you want to know how much God loves you, look at what Jesus did. Look at the cross. If you want to know God's plan for you, God's plan for your life, then follow Jesus. It means to acknowledge that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And lastly, to fear God means to trust that in Christ we do receive the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 14 tells his disciples, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another helper to help you. And to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And then in John 16, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, which is a promise to all who put their faith in Jesus. Back to the sailboat story one more time. My dad had said, remember to put the keel down. Now the keel was located, I don't know if it always is, but in that boat, it was right in the center of the boat directly in the center. Long wooden thing you had to drop down into the water. Uh, the, the rudder was at the back of the boat. That's how you steered it. When you dropped the keel into the water, it provided stability and allowed everything else to work properly so that when you moved the rudder, the boat would turn. And there's a bit of an analogy there. I'm not a sailor, but a bit of an analogy. I think the book of Proverbs is telling us that wisdom is like the rudder of our lives. It helps us navigate through our lives successfully. I think it's telling us that Jesus, however, is the keel of the boat. That is the keel at the very center of our lives. When we allow him to be the center, God's wisdom can guide and direct. But if he's not the center, if we have not trusted his love, his promise, his forgiveness, his spirit that dwells in us, then we'll struggle. We'll struggle to hear. We'll struggle to listen to God's word. We'll struggle to apply it to our lives. We'll struggle to obey. So the summary of this first part of Proverbs is to seek wisdom is to seek Jesus. To seek wisdom is 
to seek Jesus. Will you bow with me as we close? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for providing wisdom for us. And we know that we struggle sometimes to apply these things to our lives. It's easy for us to look around at the world and see so much brokenness and think, well, how can people be so foolish? How can they make such poor decisions? But help us to read and hear your word with humility and openness to receive what you have to say to us. So teach us your truth, and by your Spirit, help us apply your truth to our lives. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for leading us today, Carly. Receive now today's benediction, which comes from Colossians chapter 1. May we go now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may you be filled with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Amen. Have a great day.